Let me invite you to take your Bible and find Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. It's where we were last week. We were talking about the story of the Good Samaritan. And I want to jump off of that story. I want to go back to it, but I want to jump off and, and uh, challenge our congregation with something. But I'll get to that in a moment. You know, one of the, there, there are a lot of harsh phrases that you could say to someone. But I think probably the, the worst phrase you could say to anybody is, I just don't care. I just don't care. You might could tell somebody, I hate you, or I don't like you, or you're ugly, or you dress funny. You know, you might could say that. And, but I think the most offensive thing we could say to someone is, I just don't care. And when I read the story of the Good Samaritan, that's what I find the priest and the Levite. I think that's what's in their heart. I just don't care. We can make excuses. We can, why we can't stop and help someone or why we can't serve or do. But I think the bottom line is, it revolves around that four-letter word, care, C-A-R-E. The scripture says in verse 25, it says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus answered, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Since you've answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And in reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place, he saw the man pass by on the other side. Now, in my Bible, I've circled the, circled the word saw. He saw. Now, that's different than just, okay, I, I see some cars out there in the parking lot. It's, he actually looked at him. He, he took a moment to look at him to see the condition the man was in, to see who he was, to see what his state was. He, he, he paused for a moment. This wasn't just a glancing, oh, there's, there's some cars out in the parking lot. He stopped and said, oh, there's a red car in the parking lot. And, you know, it's... And this is an explorer and so forth and so on. He, he took the time to look at it. And that's what it is. The, this wasn't a casual glance. He stopped. And both of them issued that command in their heart, I just don't care. I just don't care. And he saw him. But a Samaritan, uh, as he was traveled, he came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn to take care of him, which meant the man was now walking. Okay? The man was riding his own donkey. You get the picture, right? He's walking and carrying this wounded man. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave to the innkeeper, which meant he spent the night making sure this man was okay overnight. He just didn't drop him off at the inn and say, take care of him. He actually stayed there himself. Right? He cared enough to stay there to make sure the next day the guy was still alive. He took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. 
And Jesus told him, go and have mercy on others. Go and have mercy on Actually care for others. And last week, what I said was this man was robbed of two things. He was robbed of his dignity, and he was robbed of his destiny. He was robbed of his dignity. He was clothed, right? He was, he was a person. Uh, he, had, he had a job to do, perhaps. He was going from point A to point B to get there. But his dignity was taken away from him. And we all know people who've had their dignity taken away. A house fire can take everything away from someone, right? Um, we, we know there are devastating losses. Someone uh, goes through a traumatic event in their, in their life, and, and they can just lose everything. And people can take their dignity away from them and just in a heartbeat. But not only the dignity, but his destiny. He was going somewhere. And every, every day when someone... In, in America wakes up, or someone around the world, but in America, when someone wakes up, they're, they're going somewhere. They may be going to the couch to watch TV, right? They may be going to work for 10 hours or 12 hours that day. They may be going to a store to buy something. They may be going to help a friend. They're going somewhere. That's their destiny for that day. We all have a destiny today. Your destiny was to be here at this church building and to worship the Lord together with one another. That was your destiny there are further destinies for you the rest of this day. This man had one, but it, it got robbed from him. What he was planned to do got robbed from him. You know, the scripture tells us in, in Ephesians 2, verse 20, it says that, uh, <clears throat> that we're created in God's workmanship, right? And we're created to do good works, which were prepared in advance for us to do. So there's something for you to do today. There, there's a plan for you to do today. But sometimes that can be taken from us as well. And this man's dignity and destiny were taken from him. But the good Samaritan had pity on him. And he took him, in, he took him to a place where he could be healed so that he could have his dignity and destiny returned to him. Now, I'm sure he bought him some clothes when he got there. Perhaps he had some extra clothes with him and he let him borrow his clothes. Remember, he had been stripped naked completely. right? And so he bought him some clothes and helped him out. And then he hopefully set him back on a journey to go where he was going to Jericho so they could finish what he was supposed to finish in that, in that place. This morning, I want to challenge our congregation to be a congregation that actually cares, that actually cares about people's lives. Now, I know we do. I see it every morning when you walk in, every Sunday morning. You folks are walking around talking to one another. You actually care for one another. I told somebody this week, I said, my church actually pastors themselves. And they said, what does that mean? I said, I don't have to do a lot of pastoring because the people pastor themselves. It's amazing. He said, how did you do that? I said, I don't know. They just did it. I said, every Sunday morning, they're pastoring one another. They call and check on one another during the week. It's absolutely amazing. But I want to challenge us to do more than that. I want to challenge us to pastor our community in very specific ways. And I'll, I'll get to that in just a moment. But the first thing I want to say is we have to care before anything else matters. C-A-R-E. First, these stand for something. Four points real quick. First C is courage. We have to have courage. And we've talked about that all year long. We call it fortitude here at our church. F-O-U-R. Fortitude. Love God. Love yourself. Love others. And love creation. Four things. That's what God calls us to. Is if you want to boil the whole Bible down to four things, that's it. Love God. Love yourself. Love others and love his creation. Four things. You've got to care. You've got to have some courage to do that. The Samaritan had courage. 
He knew that if he stopped, he could be robbed also. The robbers could still be hiding back around behind the rocks, right? Waiting to come back out and steal his stuff. He knew the man could be faking it, right? He could have just had makeup put on, right? He knew the man could be trouble, but he had courage. He stepped into it and said, I'm going to have a little courage here and step into this person's life with courage, with fortitude. Secondly, in the word uh, care, the A stands for availability. We have to make ourselves available. As I said last week, the Holy Spirit is our travel guide. The Holy Spirit wants to be our travel guide each and every day. And we just simply must make ourselves available. You wake up in the morning and you say, I'm available to serve you. We got some folks fixing to go on an RVing trip for six or eight, nine months, whatever it's going to be. And when you get to that first camp, you just need to simply say, Father, I want to be available to help someone in this camp this week while we're here. And just trust the Holy Spirit to make that happen. And he will. Right? It doesn't matter where we are, where we're going, if it's vacationing, if it's at work, if it's at school, just make yourself available. The third thing, you need to have some resources on you. You need to have some resources on you or with you or where you can get to them. C-A-R-E. You can't care for people if you don't have resources. This man was carrying resources. He had oil and he had wine. And that was for medicinal purposes back in the day, right? That's what they used. But he had it with him. What do you have with you? You should always carry an extra $5 bill or an extra $10 bill or $20 bill, whatever you can afford. You should always carry an extra one. Keep it in a special place in your purse or your wallet somewhere. For when God says you need to give somebody that something. And it's amazing. Whatever you've got in your wallet, if it's a $5 bill that you set aside to help someone, help someone else out, God will tell you, go help that person out and give them $5 because that's what you've got with you. He will. I continue to increase in my wallet. I've got it up to a $100 bill now. I know that sounds crazy. Somebody's going to rob me because they're listening on this, on this podcast. We're going to rob the preacher. But I've gotten to where I like giving $100 away to somebody. And God will tell me, I want you to go to that person that day and give them $100. I didn't start there. I started with $5. And slowly worked my faith up to where I give that away now. Because that's what God's called me to do. That's what he's called me to step into. Have some resources available. And it might not just be money. It could be something else that you have that you carry with you that could help someone. Ask the Holy Spirit. He'll tell you. And then the E in the word care is empathy. Is empathy. Empathy means having the intellectual ability to step into another person's life and understand what they're going through. Sympathy is, oh, I'm sorry you fell down. Let me help you up. Empathy is, what if that were me? What if that were me? How would I want someone to respond to me? You're laying there naked in the, on a dirt road. And people are walking by you. It wasn't just a Levite and the priest that walked by. There were other people that walked by. It was a busy day. It's a busy road going from Jerusalem to Jericho. There are people on it all day long. What if that were you laying in the dust? How would you want someone to respond to you? What kind of care would you want them to give? That's empathy. Putting yourself intellectually into their role and thinking, what can I do in this, in this situation? So I want us to care. I want us to care. I don't want us to be the congregation that says, I just don't care. Okay. Let's don't be that way. You know, America is unwinding. The actual whole world is unwinding. But America is unwinding faster than any of us could ever dream or imagine. I was reading another article yesterday about the decline of the church. In, in the last 20 years, it's 
the church attendance and membership has declined 200%. It's insane how quickly the church is unwinding and how quickly society is unwinding. But it didn't have to stay that way in our little spheres of influence. We can make a difference if we choose to, if we simply care for just one more person. Just one more. So what am I calling the congregation to do? If you see in the chair in front of you this little white pamphlet, it's entitled The Ceramic Church. Uh, a ceramic is clay. A ceramic is clay that's been hardened by fire. Ceramic is clay that's been hardened by fire. And it can be brittle and it can be hard as diamonds. Ceramic is an amazing product. And so I've got the word ceramic down, but it means something. On the front page, you see it stands for Christian Emergency Response and Ministry in Crisis. You like that? It spells the word ceramic. You expect no less from me, right? 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 Come on, work with me here. Christian Emergency Response and Ministry in Crisis. So a year ago today, a year ago today, I took my first ham exam. My first ham exam. Now, I went to uh, the, the, the place where the ham, that's amateur radio operator. You've heard me talk about that in case you don't know what that stands for. And so I took my first exam they, these, uh, at a hospital <laughs> of all places. It's really funny. So um, amateur radios set up in hospitals because that's where they do a lot of the broadcasting from in the event of a disaster or emergency. So the courses are taught there, the classes are taught there, and the exams are held there. So I went to, uh, it, was a, it was a hospital up in Springfield. I'd never been there before, but that's where the first class was the, for me to take the test. And I walked in, and I couldn't find the room where they were giving the exam. So I walked up to the lady at the counter. I said, I'm here for a ham exam. <laughs> she, she started scrolling through her screen. Sir, I don't know what that is. I said, it's a ham exam. And so by this time, I'm playing along with it. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm supposed to have a ham exam today. She said, sir, I, I just don't, what does that stand for? <laughs> So I finally explained it to her. She said, oh, if they meet downstairs next to the cafeteria, you could go with this elevator and go down and you'll find it. So that started the journey for me, um, becoming a ham operator a year ago today. And one of the things they recommended in being a ham operator is to take FEMA courses, Federal Emergency Management Agency courses that talk about disaster response. And so I've been taking those courses since then. And just their online courses. Anybody can take them. I encourage you to go take, take uh, 100. It's a great course. It's a starting point. Well, that led me to ponder, how can the church be better at responding to the needs around it? And most churches are pretty good with having a clothes closet or a food pantry or money for motels, that sort of thing. But what would happen if there were a real disaster in our county? A tornado came through. You know, the three big things for our county would be a tornado, right, or an ice storm, or an earthquake. Those would be the big three in our area. Uh, typically, a hurricane's not going to bother us, or a tsunami is not going to bother us. But what would happen if a hurricane came through? How would our church respond? How would the churches in the area respond? We typically think, well, the government will take care of everything. And that's simply not true. The, the government's big. And the government's got a lot of money, and they've got a lot of personnel, but they're still not big enough to handle uh, a disaster that comes through any town, especially if there's multiple disasters. And you'll, you'll find that when you read all the, if you take any of these courses and study that. So how can our church respond? 
Well, I want to challenge our church, and I would love to challenge other churches at some point with this same idea. So let's, let's walk through the brochure right quick like. So the Christian church is the hope of the world, and I really believe that. I believe the church, the Christian church today, is the hope of the world. I think it's the only hope left in the world today. The government can't help us. Education can't help us. Uh, entertainment can't help us. Sports can't help us. Nothing can help us. The church can and it should demonstrate that hope in both practical and spiritual ways. One valuable way the church can do this is in times of crisis. Jesus was very clear in Matthew 25, verses 35 through 40, when he explained that responding to human need, humans in need is the same as responding to him. He says our efforts to love our neighbor as equal to and on par with loving him. As we serve others, we're serving and loving Christ himself. John challenged believers to love our neighbors, not just with words, but with action and truth. Paul said the only thing that mattered was faith expressing itself through love. Peter encouraged us to live a life filled with good deeds, which would cause even the pagans to glorify God on the day that he visits. The writer of Hebrews told us how to find a way to spur one another on to love and good deeds. Isaiah explained that the kind of fasting God desires is when we have met the material, emotional, and spiritual needs of those in crisis. Most congregations are well aware of the basic needs of their community and do a great job of meeting those needs. Clothes closets, food pantries, money for motels are staples in the Christian churches across the country. But how many churches have a structure in place to effectively handle multiple crises simultaneously? A local church that has trained its people and planned ahead will be able to respond in a strategic way to meet the needs of the church and the community. The parable of Good Samaritan teaches us a valuable lesson in being prepared to help in time of need. He was carrying just what he needed to take care of the injured person. He had oil and wine to help with his healing and enough money to provide him food, water, and shelter at the inn. The victim had been robbed of all of his possessions, but more than that, he had been robbed of his dignity and his destiny. The church that responds to people in crisis has the opportunity to restore both dignity and destiny. That is why the church is the hope of the world. The purpose of the ceramic model is to equip the church with a structure that guides ministry teams and individuals as they respond to people in crisis. It's a strategic way for the church to organize the whole church to be the hands and feet of Jesus to the whole community. You know, right now... Uh, in Southern Baptist life and in Methodist life and other denominations, they have a structure in place where if there's a hurricane or a tornado, some disaster, men, mostly men, can take a week off of work and go to this place and, and cut trees up or muck out a house if it's been a flood and that type of thing. The elderly or the young or teenagers or children and most women aren't invited, aren't allowed to do anything. Some of the greatest resources left in the church aren't invited to participate in a disaster. And so that's, that's what I'm trying to address. How can the whole church, teenagers, children, uh, people who can't get about as good as they used to, how can everybody respond in a crisis? And so that's what I want to address. And I'm all for, matter of fact, the last weekend, weekend before last, I took disaster training course through our Southern Baptist Convention. So I'm now certified to go run a chainsaw with disaster relief through our Southern Baptist Convention. I took four courses over a weekend. Uh, that was in-house courses that was taught at the church. But I want all of us to be able to respond, the whole church. Crises tend to fall in three categories, local, regional, or global. 
A local crisis might include a house fire. One of our members had one of their friends that had a house fire, destroyed everything. And so people have responded to them. They live in Murfreesboro. Praise God, some folks have responded. But a house fire is certainly a local crisis. An auto accident, birth, that's a crisis. Amen? Amen? Amen. <laughs> or old me, right? right? And the major crisis is you need diapers. It's a, I know we talked about diapers last week. I'm not going to go there. But it's amazing how many diapers a preschooler can go through, right? Come on, work with me, right? And how expensive they are, right, Papa? Right? So I can't think of a, a better thing for a church to respond would be the diaper church, right? We bring, we bring diapers, right? But it is a crisis. Maybe a church can just be really good at bringing diapers in a time of need. And if all this church was, was the diaper church, that would be awesome. If we just did, in any crisis, anywhere, we did diapers, right? And it's not that we hoard diapers if we don't use them during the crisis period, during hurricane or tornado season, right, for us, or hurricane season for someone else. Then at Christmas time, we give them away and we start all over again, right? So it doesn't have to be your hoarding stuff. It's that you're prepared. And if you don't use it, then you give it away and you prepare again for the next season, whatever that is. Every church has to decide what they want to do. Death, crisis certainly revolves around death. Divorce, you know, most people don't understand a divorce if a husband and wife are both attending the same church and then there's a divorce, in particular if it's a bad divorce. Well, one of them loses their church because both of them can't keep coming there. And then they had friends on both sides of the aisle. And so then you got all that you got to deal with. That's a crisis, right? And so the church needs to know how to respond to that. Deployment. Some of our men or women get deployed. That's a crisis for the family behind. It's a crisis for the one who's going. It's a crisis for parents and grandparents and so forth and so on. People being evicted from their homes that were renting. An Amber or Adam alert. Surgery. Nursing home adjustment. Rehabilitation. Hospice. Job loss. Marriage problems. Parenting. Runaways. Sickness. Health crisis. Prison sentence. Suicide. Homicide. A pet passing away. You know, pets are, boy, just like, just like family members to some folks. Some folks, it's just an animal that they've got in their house. But for many people, it's, it's, a, it's a dear loved one. I can remember um, I was uh, pastoring a church in North Carolina, and this woman had this little small dog. I forget what kind it was, but it was one of those small ones that barks all the time, <laughs> liked to bark at me when I would go visit her. Uh, that little fella died, and it just broke her heart. And so I pastored her like I would pastor her if she lost a child. She wanted to bury it and have a funeral, and she had a basement under her house. We buried that dog in her basement. It had a dirt basement. We buried the dog in the basement and had a funeral service in the basement down there for her pet. It was very special to her. So that's a crisis. How could we respond to that? Hmm? Or basically needs like food, water, clothing or shelter. A regional crisis might include a tornado, flood, ice storm, hurricane, earthquake, wildfire, ecological disaster, drought, tsunami, civil unrest. We're certainly seeing that in our country today. Mass migration, we're seeing that. Electromagnetic pulse or EMP it's called. Do you know what that is? Okay, so uh, just to enlighten you, for instance, a foreign government could get mad at us and send a nuke over here and not blow it up on the ground, right, where it would contaminate everything and 
and kill everything, they would uh, explode it seven to ten miles above the Earth, which would create a pulse, an electromagnetic magnetic pulse, that would shut all electronics down. If you have anything that has a chip or a diode or anything in it, which is everything you own, including your car, it would stop working. That's what an EMP is. So cars wouldn't work, gas pumps wouldn't work, uh, electro, uh, the electric grid would shut down, there'd be no electricity anywhere. And so uh, and within 72 hours, they say, chaos starts after some sort of event like that. So you can imagine what would happen. Uh, your grocery store is not working anymore. You get the picture, right? right? Your plumbing doesn't work anymore. No water, no plumbing. Right? The plumbing backs up at the sewer plant, backs up, up into the houses. I mean, it's, it's bad. An EMP would be bad. Nobody gets killed, and there's no toxic debris, so to speak, on the earth, but people begin killing themselves for food. Right? So that's the kind of crisis. And a lot of conversation about that right now. As a matter of fact, our president recently signed something into to looking in how to stop that before it happens. So our government is looking into it now because it is a topic. A terrorist attack, nuclear meltdown at a power plant. We saw that in, in Fukushima in Japan several years ago, if you kept up with that. Uh, the, the rods actually melted through into the earth, right? Contaminated the Pacific Ocean. Some of that's already come across to Hawaii and all, it's made it all the way over to California now. So it can happen. A global crisis might include a global war, an asteroid impact, volcanic eruption, solar flares, an epidemic or pandemic. And depending on your biblical view of end times, you could, you could add the tribulation, the rapture of the church, the second coming of Christ as times of global crisis, disaster, or calamity. The ceramic model is flexible and scalable which allows each congregation the opportunity to create a ministry plan that utilizes people, passion, and resources available to them. A small congregation may decide to plan for one specific type of local crisis that they can manage with their resources. A larger church may plan for a local, regional, and global crisis. Each congregation should pray and seek what the Lord would have them do. The ceramic model is based on the concept of shared ministry where every believer is equipped to minister and then sent out to do just that. Having one pastor on staff to do all the crisis ministry will end in burnout and ineffective care. The original design of the church was to be the whole body of Christ, that's all of us, responding to those in need. Anything less is biblical ignorance, in other words, just not knowing that, or it's willful disobedience. We know it, but we don't do it. All right. So here's the structure on the back page. You have a pastoral ministries leader. In this case, that would be me or a pastor of a church or someone designated a church to do this. And perhaps one of you might could take that role at some point, but to begin with, it'd be me. You'd have seven key people, and each person would need a, an assistant with them as well. So that's 14 people already that we need. Each, each role would have a, a person in it. You need the information director. That's the person who's fully aware of and maintains a database of opportunities to minister to people in crisis. So who in our church, which one of you, which one of you would feel led, would be interested, have a passion for finding out all the needs of the people in our church? Uh, so do you know who's sick this week? Well, we know Heather's sick this week. We've heard that. So what, what are we going to do as a congregation to, to let Heather know that we care about her because she's sick, right? What will we do? 
We know that Don, he mentioned earlier, his mom is, uh, is, is in bad shape. He's got some things going on. I won't go into all that. But how are we going to minister to Don? Because Don's in crisis on some level. We all are. If our mother's sick, right? He's in crisis on some level because mom is sick. How do we minister to Don this morning? What can we do to him? I'm praying for you, Don. How can I help Don? We might ask those questions of Don, but how should our church respond? Well, we can't respond to that if we don't know. Now we all know because I just shared we all know, right? So who in our church would be good at that? What one, two, or three people would sign up for that role and, and, and those two or three people would say, that's our role. We're going to find out who's sick and we're going to collect that database. Secondly, safety director oversees the screening and credentialing of all volunteers who serve as well as where they may serve. So this training I went through with our disaster relief team uh, through the Southern Baptist uh, Convention a couple weeks ago, before I could serve, I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor and a Southern Baptist pastor for 40-something years now, right? You would think I could just show up at the scene of a tornado with my chainsaw or my ham radio and say, I'm here to help. What can I do? And they would say, come on in and help. No. You have to have a credential. You have to have a badge where you've had a background check and other, you have to have a letter from your pastor, which that was pretty cool, writing a letter from my pastor to them about me. Man, I was great. I'm telling you, when I wrote my own recommendation, right? <laughs> Why? Because the Southern Baptist Convention wants to make sure that the person who shows up is a legitimate person and not some crazy person. Do you know that human trafficking, one of the, one of the greatest places of human trafficking surrounds a disaster. Do you know what people do? You know what bad people do? They drive up in a van with some logo that they've created and they put it on the side of the van. And they'll go over to a group of people, not just one. They don't pick on one, they pick on a group. They'll take a group of people, old people, middle-aged people, young people, and they'll fill their van. They're saying, look, we've set up a shelter down the road here. We'd like to take you to this shelter. And we're going to take care of you. We've got, we've got cots. We've got food and water. And uh, we're going to look after you. Just get in the van. Well, people see the symbol. They don't understand what it is. They get in the van. They go down there. Do you know that every age person can be human trafficked? Do you know that? Every age. If you're 75 years old, you can be human trafficked. They've got, they've got something they will do. They take them to this warehouse. They Get them in the door and say, here's where you're going to stay. They lock the door and you don't hear from these people again. That happens around disasters. It's, it's heinous. It's horrible. It's horrific. But it takes place. So that's why credentials are important. And that's why the Southern Baptist Convention, when I show up at a tornado site to cut down a tree or use my ham radio to help, they're going to say, where's your, where's your badge? And I'll be checked in. And my, my name and my badge number will be put down. And, and where I'm assigned will be put down. So as a church, we need to do the same thing. We need to know who's showing up. We need to know that the person showing up can do what they say they can do. If you're going to run a chainsaw, you need to go through a course, just like I did on how to operate a chainsaw and not cut somebody else's leg off, right? When I was uh, a teenager, I was a land surveyor. And land surveyors go out to a big piece of property, and they find the corners. And sometimes part of finding the corners is you have to cut a bunch of trees down so that you can see a straight line from this corner to that corner. And sometimes the property owner wants you to mark that off with ribbon or stakes in the ground 
so they can see where their property is. And we were out cutting lines, called cutting line. We were out cutting trees one day, making a straight line. And a guy named John was in front cutting. My friend David, who had just come to work, had been to work three days, was behind John, and I was back behind David. I was the instrument man that day running the, uh, the instrument. And John saw a snake. And John's scared of snakes. And we were using bush hooks. Actually, they're technically called a ditch bank blade, but it's a bush hook. It's a long stick with a knife on the end of it, right? A big blade on the end of it. John got scared, and when he got scared, he turned around to run. And when he turned around to run, he sliced David right in the thigh with the bush hook. Right through his blue jeans, right through his thigh, blood's everywhere. We're way down in the woods. We're a long way from the car. So we have to, you know, do the pressure. The, we didn't do a tourniquet, but we tried kind of, you know, put the pressure on it. And carried David. David was about your size. <laughs> he was uh, strong, beefy. It was work. We had to carry him out of the woods because John got scared and John wasn't paying attention. If John had a chainsaw, David would be dead. Right? Right. So you have to learn how to do these things. So the safety, the safety director would help us credential, make sure people are trained and doing the right thing at the right time. The third thing is the community liaison. Okay. A liaison, you know what they do? They lays. It's really somebody that's connected with the community. And so we need somebody in our church that knows people in our community that can know who the fire chief is, who the police, police chief is, who the head of the emergency management association is. We need to know these people, right? We need to know that, that James, sitting right back here, everybody knows James and Twyla. James works for the Corps of Engineers, right? He is an engineer. And so we need to know, we need to know that about James, that needs to be in our list, our database of people that we know. It could be really important to know James, for instance, in a flood. He knows a lot about water and about water, what water can do, what it will do, what it has done, particularly in our area. So he's a great resource. This person serves as a point of contact for other groups, organizations within the church or the whole community. This person needs to know who the ham operators are. Do you know that when Katrina went through uh, New Orleans, it took out all the cell towers, right? For miles and miles. There was, no, there was no phone service for a couple of weeks down there. You know that ham operators showed up down there with their ham, with their radios, and were talking to people up here. My mentor, my ham mentor, you didn't know there was such a thing, did you? He's 80 years old. He's been a ham 60 years. He's my mentor. He lives around the corner from me. He was actually sitting in his house right on the corner here helping people in Katrina connect with their loved ones in other parts of the country with his ham radio. That's what hams do. They show up and help out. During Katrina, he actually helped with the hurricane that went through Hawaii last year. He helped with Michael that went through, sitting in his house with his ham radio, connecting people and processes and, and resources. So we need a community liaison, somebody that will get out and find out who the people are that are that are in leadership in our community. The next person we need is an operations and oversight manager. This person gives general oversight to all the ministry teams and makes recommendations for improvement. So maybe we have a diaper team, right? Maybe we have a house fire team. Maybe we have a food team. We can have a lot of teams. 
But we need somebody that can oversee this. We need somebody that understands project management, right? That understands how to work with leaders of teams. And just to check in with them, maybe on a monthly basis or a quarterly basis to say, hey, how's it going? What do you need? What resources do you not have? And they oversee the whole process. Very important role there. We need a planning and procurement manager. Supports the ministry teams by planning for, tracking, and acquiring projected resources. Somebody needs to know where the best price of diapers is. Somebody needs to find out who gives discounts on buying diapers. If we're going to be the diaper church or whatever it is we want to be. Somebody needs to do that research. Who's really good at research? Who's good at going online or going into a store and saying, I'm from a church. We're trying to help our community. I need 10,000 diapers uh, in size one month. What's it going to cost me? We need somebody that can do that. We need a logistics and labor manager, someone who arranges for people and resources to be in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing, and helps recruit volunteers to serve on ministry teams. Somebody needs to say, here, this is where we're going. This is what we're doing. Heather needs prayer today. That's ministry, right? Heather needs prayer today. So somebody needs to say, well, we're going to get together and pray for her. Well, we've already done that this morning. But who's going to organize that? Who's going to call the people together? We need somebody to do that. And then the finance and funding manager. This person secures funding for the resources needed to help those in crisis and monitors cost related to each incident. Somebody's got to come back to the church and say, Jim, the diapers are going to cost us $200. And so we need to take up a special offering three weeks from now for the diapers. Somebody needs to plan that and think through that. And make sure the money gets spent for the diapers and somebody follows up and makes sure that the check was written and that everything is, is, has been squared up. So that's what I want to challenge our congregation to do. I want to challenge you to go home and pray about one of these roles and say, I want to be a part of this. I'd like to be a part of this. And I'd like to be one of the leaders. Or come back and say, I don't want to be a leader, but I will be a follower. I'll serve on a team. I'll serve on any team. It doesn't matter. Or you may say, I prayed about this, and I really want to be on the diaper team. God really has spoken to your heart about one of these things that we can do. And I want you to call me or email me or come to see me or I'll meet you. And let's talk about what God's put on your heart to be and to do. What role will you take? Remember, we can have one or two people in the same role because it's the chance that you may be out of town on vacation when something happens. And so we need one or two people in each one of these leadership roles. You just might not be here. So the other person will need to step in, right? Does that make sense? So would you pray about this? Let's be good Samaritans, right? Let's care. Let's actually care. And as, and as a congregation, let's get organized to care better. And let's let, let's let our community know that, that we do care. You know, Rock Springs Church cares. And, and we have a structure in place now that can attack whatever the need is. And, and help support people in times of crisis. The other thing you have in your chair behind you is the, the green handout. This is the updated version. You know, I handed out the Rock Springs Church directory that was in the white version. That was for me to make corrections for all my, the mistakes I made. And so I, I think I've got it fully corrected. If not, please let me know. Uh, but here's a list of all of us. And the names that are underlined are the people who serve on your church council. Some of you ask me, who's on the church council? The names are underlined. And so that will help you understand that. So as you look at this list, 
And if you want to be added to this list and you're not on this list and I, and I still have missed something, let me know. I'll be glad to add it to you, uh, to the list. Does everybody know everybody on this list? Does everybody know Christine Harold? Christine, wave your hand. That's Christine right there. See that? Does everybody know Sue right over here? Hey, Sue. Sue's not on the list. I just realized Sue's not on the list. You may not want to be on the list. Everybody say, hey, Sue. Does everybody know Richard Hodges? Richard's back in the back corner on the couch. Wave your hand, Richard. Great neighbor. I've got the best neighbors. Richard and Jerry Marie, just the best neighbors. Does everybody know Jensen? Woo, what's up, Jensen? Okay. See how easy that is to get to know one another? So we'll look around the room. If we're going to be good Samaritans, you look around the room and see who's not here. You've got an address here. Maybe somebody needs to be the committee that sends out a card when people aren't here, particularly if they miss two weeks, right? Let's care enough for the people here, right, to send them a note and say, we missed you. Their addresses are right here. Right? So maybe that's one of the ministry teams that you want to serve on. Or maybe head up. As, I'll be the person who looks around every Sunday and sees who's not here. And I will send them a card and say, we missed you. Right? So there's a role for everybody. Teenagers, children. I can't think of anything sweeter than our children sending a letter to somebody who's not here saying, I'm sorry you're sick. I'm praying for you. Would you love to receive that in the mail or what? Right? And if you can't afford the stamps, the church will buy stamps. We'll, we'll get a roll of stamps and have them back here in the back for you. And, and that'll be great. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you, Father, that, that you care about us. You care about us. Father, you cared about us so much that you sent your only son to die on a cruel cross because we sinned. Father, thank you for caring about us. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for us, for demonstrating how much you care by dying on the cross for us. You cared for us and you took our sins away. Thank you, Jesus. And Holy Spirit, thank you that you care enough for us that you are our comforter. You are our comforter in times of crisis. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You do care about us and you speak to us and you minister us to us in so many ways. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, thank you. The Father, come and minister to our hearts. Put someone on a heart that we need to care for. Let us care for them deeply. Uh, Father, guide us to act with fortitude as we care for people. Holy Spirit, use us this week in, in a great way. Show us our our destiny for each day. Help us step into it. Help our eyes to be open to really, really see people. Not just glance at them, but see them like you see them. Give us your eyes, your hands, and your feet to minister to people that it might bring glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.